So we were talking about um, Ron Purse as being a famous person to come from Winchester and then concluding, of course, he's, he's only famous in Winchester. But a city like Winchester, you would think, would have numerous famous people coming uh, from it. But in actual fact... There's hardly anybody famous ever ever come out of Winchester. Can you think of any, Rich? Well, you know, there's that difference between come out of Winchester as like real Wintonian people, Winchester people becoming famous. I think that's pretty rare. I mean, a lot have gone through like Winchester College, but not like, um, but yeah, as in, I was thinking about this earlier, trying to think of somebody who is known for being born and bred Winchester and becoming massively famous because everybody well, whenever you meet everybody says colin firth but i don't think colin and john and the family were originally from winchester i think they moved here when the boys were young but i don't think i don't think they're have winchester you, have, have you met anybody in that family yeah i was a, i was at um i was at college with uh with john colin's brother top guy ah is, is, is he younger yeah 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 he's my age yeah he's uh yeah john's like yeah amazing bloke i mean i haven't I haven't seen him for years but i had a very brief conversation with him on facebook a little while ago because I, I posted a picture of the full flood arms and just said home and <laughs> and john got in there and commented and said you in winchester and i thought he might be but he wasn't but he does you know he comes through but it'd be good to see him again because he's uh what's his uh what's his profession then he's an actor as well Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what in films and stuff like that? All sorts, all sorts of things. Um, I haven't looked at his IMDb entry for a while, but yeah, that's that's what he does. He was living, I think, in LA for a while. I mean, it must be difficult being Colin's brother. I was going to say, he must be very peculiar. I, you know, I've got a friend. Uh, well, you've, he's a friend of yours as well, John Parrish, and he's very successful in the music field. Mm. But of course, he's he's completely uh, what's the word overshadowed by his sister Sarah Parrish, who's uh, like a, a a big film and TV star, yeah, and hugely successful. Um, and I was thinking, gosh. Both the parents have passed away now, but what a wonderful job they must have done with their kids. Yeah, it's pretty good. For them good. To, to grow up to be so successful in in an artistic in an artistic field. But at least that, I mean, that's two different genres, isn't it? And so that's, mm. that's probably a bit easier than if you're John and you, say, turn up at an audition. And somebody, <laughs> at, the, so, somebody yeah. at the audition is probably, especially in the States, I would imagine, is jokingly going to say something along the lines of, ah, oh, interesting, interesting second name. Any, any relation to Colin? Ha ha ha. And, and John either has to lie or go, yes, he's my brother. And I'm sure the moment where he goes, yes, he's my brother, just he probably just ends up getting a ton of questions that he just does not want to hear or answer or is interested in. It's, you know, yeah. probably the moment you do that, it's the moment of... You know, I don't know whether the producer or the director is like going, "Oh, so is there any way that we can get your brother involved in this as well?" It must be a must be a mayor having. It's got to be. Yeah. It's like everybody knows that John Parrish works with PJ Harvey, and I know he constantly gets people saying, "Oh, can you get Polly to do this?" or "Would you ask her if she'd be willing to do that?" And she's such a sort of very determinedly independent person. There's no way he's going to ever. <laughs> ask uh, her, her to um, you know sponsor something or whatever and uh, I think uh, certainly uh, I'm thinking of people like um, what's Mick Jagger's younger brother called well I think we've, we've answered we've answered the question there haven't we 
<laughs> we can't remember well, what should, Mick's brother's you should, called. You should know this because he was played at the Tower Arts Centre. I know, but... Chris Jagger. Chris. Chris Jagger. Chris Jagger's... Right, yeah. Oh, what's his band called? Maybe it was just the oh. Chris Jagger band or something. Wasn't he doing some Zydeco but, thing or something? Have I just but, made yeah, I mean, I, be, I, I believe he's quite good and, and certainly he's, he's a good musician and he's got a good band. But uh, And the other one is, of course, um, who I once saw, Simon Townsend. Um, had a band and always permanently was compared to Pete. And now he is in The Who uh, as a second guitarist. Oh, is that Pete's son or Pete's... No, no, it's Pete's brother. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, Pete's younger brother, Simon. Does he play the loud bits now and Pete's playing the acoustic <laughs> guitar most of the time? No, it's the other way around. I think he, he I think Simon's playing the acoustic guitar in the background. Yeah. But, I mean, the Who aren't the Who when there's five or six of them. Uh, um, they've still got, I think they've got Zach Starkey on drums, Ringo's son. Oh, I didn't know that. There's definitely a theme, there's definitely a theme here. But uh, Zach Starkey's a great drummer. He played in Oasis for, for a number of years as well. Really? Hmm. Yeah, did you not know that? Oh, I my friend that. Ed, my friend Eddie, God rest his soul, more or less brought him up because uh, when Ringo was going through a lengthy period of alcoholism and uh, not interested in Zach's well-being, um, they, they all lived in these executive uh, dwellings in uh, Virginia Water sort of way. The Thomas the Tank and, Engineers, uh, as it's probably known. <laughs> I try and do the accent, but I can't possibly. Uh, yeah, so um, Eddie and his uh, wife pretty much brought up Zach, and they they can tell me a lot of stories because Zach was a heavy drinker as well, but not anymore. He's now uh, off the source and uh, and a uh, very uh, very successful session drummer. Yeah, mm. there you go. There you so go. so those are all people who whose families did go. The the other person in the parish family, to be lesser, is a. The other sister is a is a, um, a vicar, so uh, they didn't all go down that. Route. Sorry, sorry. There's a, a a vicar with the surname Parish. <laughs> oh dear, I never thought of that, but uh, the answer is yes. And how appropriate is that? That's brilliant. Except I think she's married. I think she's married and called something else now. But oh, she should have kept that. So Colin Firth, I mean, he, he is the first person that always springs to mind. He and his uh, drenched britches, uh, whenever anybody says oh, who, who's famously come out of uh, Winchester. And the other person, of course, is Jack D. Oh, of course, Jack D. Yeah. Uh, I thought uh, when I was looking through my old scrapbooks recently, I thought maybe I might have been the first person ever to review Jack D or to give him a, a mention in print because he was uh, in a band... Uh, from Montgomery School. Yes. Called Greek Greek Art. They were called, I thought they were called Sativa. Maybe they were Greek Art and then they became Sativa. The, the, exactly that. Oh. Yes, yeah, Sativa, I think, uh, was embellished by a, a very loud uh, metal-y type guitarist called Steve Bellinger, who I believe was in a band with you. Yes, he was in a band called Warehouse, which was myself, Steve, legend in his own lunchtime, Bellinger, and Tej <laughs> and Simon King. I remember Tej when I, before I ever met Steve Bellinger, Tej said this great thing to me where he said, the great thing about having Bellinger in the band is that you always want Bellinger on this side of the stage rather than that <laughs> side of the stage. He was a bit of a wild man, but he could, he could certainly play guitar. And he was actually, um, he was actually left-handed, but played guitar in the normal right-handed way, just because he figured being left-handed would mean that his left hand on the strings would be stronger 
And he was the only person that I've ever known that had a guitar synth, one of the early Roland. Oh, yes, I remember that, yes. It was very uh, unfashionable at the time because it was sort of just going into the sort of uh, punk new wave era, weren't we? And that that guitar synth was was more likely to be used by someone in Yes or whatever. But um, it was Steve. So you were. Steve Bellinger introduced me to Cronenberg um, one day down at the. Not the Bakers, the Phoenix, I think. No, not the, the Phoenix. Phoenix. No, the Rising Sun. I knew it had something to do with oh, yes. heat and light. A den of iniquity, I believe. Yeah, I went down there with Steve Bellinger and drank, I don't know, three, four pints of Cronenberg for the first time in my, Ooh, my life. And it was a yeah, terrifying thing. Yeah. He was a hard man of rock and roll, but he was, yeah, he was, he was a good laugh, Steve, and great, great, great player, great legato technique. Well, uh, I was going to just mention Cronenberg. We've talked before about the effect that um, Stella Artois has on me, and Cronenberg is exactly the same. And I think it's because it seems like a pint of Foster's or something, mm-hmm. but it's much, much stronger. Mm. And so you, 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 you down this, and then you re- suddenly realise that you're not feeling very well. And that's the stuff that I, I always think I'm going to die. Well, I, I don't actually drink anything like that anymore because I would go to bed after a few pints of either Stella or Cronenberg. And then uh, before I know it, there's all these, uh, it's, I feel I'm being dive bombed by stukas. This horrible noise has come into my head going, but this is, this is one of your great stories though. You attending a Bundu boys gig at the tower art center, drinking, (laughs) drinking too many pints of Cronenberg, obviously, or Stella. And then yes. falling asleep on your front garden and waking up yes. thinking you were being dive-bombed by Stukas. Well, it is exactly right. I found myself spread-eagled in a sort of Christ-on-the-cross position in the middle of the lawn. And uh, I, I thought that Third World War had broken out because all these fighter planes were coming, charging round my, my ears. It was very, very frightening. <laughs> oh, only the Tower but, Art Centre could do that to somebody. Well, the Tower Art Centre's uh, beer offering was woeful, wasn't it? It was. It's, if you were very lucky, there was a barrel of some rubbish ale, and then Cronenberg in bottles, and then they they regularly used to run out and send someone down to the the equivalent of Sperrings at the top of Stanmore to come back with some plastic bottles of cider or something just to keep people going. Yeah, that was Brian Sheehy's job. Well, one of his many jobs: send Brian down to one stop, pick up some cans. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, uh, up, up that part of the world was indeed where Montgomery of Alamein School was, where Greek art. Mm. So anyway, so I looked through my um, my old scrapbooks um, and lo and behold, I misspelled his name. I called him Jack Dean, oh. D-E-A-N. Oh. But then I thought, is D maybe a stage name and maybe his real name is Jack Dean? Oh, I wonder. Because I, I don't actually, I, I've never met anybody called D for a surname, have you? D. I know ladies called D short for Dorothy or whatever. Sandra D. Oh, Sandra D. Well, I bet that was a stage name too. No, Sandra D was a... Uh... No, that was... An actress. Yeah, she was. I'm thinking of Sandra Lee. That's a... Yeah, that's a consonant <laughs> difference, isn't it? Yeah, she was a, She was in school. But, oh. <laughs> but you could ask, because well, that band, that had... Um, 
well, Bellinger's not around, as in, I mean, he, I don't think he's passed. I think he's still alive, but I don't know where he is. But, but Brian, as in Brian Hayward from the guitar shop, and Tej were both in that band. You should yes. tap them up. They'd know whether D was a real name or whether it was, in fact, Dean. Well, I, sh- I shall do that. As soon as we finish our conversation today, I shall um, email. Who shall I email? I'll email Brian. He'll know. Yeah. What? Because, uh, yeah, so maybe I was right after all. So maybe it was a world-exclusive first mention of this person. I don't suppose you listen to, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue, is that annoying up your street, is it? But uh, Jack D has taken the role of Humphrey Littleton just absolutely brilliantly. And uh, so all the greatest of respect to, to him. Oh, no, I don't. I must admit, that's that's like a Radio 4 thing, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah, Radio 4 makes you brainy. That's what we used to say at the newspaper. Every now and again, we'd put Radio 4 on and Pete Harvey would say, Radio 4 makes you brainy. Uh, And then (laughs) after about 20 minutes, we'd all be complaining and Sam would put some obscure Japanese noise band on instead and we'd listen to that. (laughs) Well, I've got a brilliant idea now. Why don't we do a little diversion here and talk about the paper? Oh. Because it was a fascinating era of your life and one with which I remember with well I remember with great affection because I wasn't actually physically in that office but uh, <laughs> Richard you were uh, now what were you sub editor or you were a member of the reporting staff on a free sheet in Winchester which is not first second it's set up in in uh, opposition to the the Gazette Extra yeah and it was called the, well, it still is called, believe it or not, because I saw one in Tesco the other day, the Winchester Observer. Mid, no, Mid, the Mid-Hampshire Observer. The Mid-Hampshire Observer, that's right. So, I mean, one of the many things that I was able to do, because obviously I wrote half of it, um, uh, it was like having my own personal mm. newspaper, mm. the part that you didn't write, I wrote. Yeah. And uh, you called it the world's uh, most... Um, prodigious rock and roll free sheet because despite the fact it was supposed to be a local news thing but 60 percent of it was music orientated <laughs> but that but that made total sense because i um um yeah i i started working there because the powers that be at the observer gave pete harvey the job of being editor and getting the production team together now pete harvey was the bass player in my old band trip so pete and i had already had quite a lot of rock and roll experiences so in some way it was well let's do rock and roll but have a newspaper to play with rather than the band to play with uh so it was yeah pete was in charge uh i was kind of second in command um but actually the week i started he went on holiday for a week so i i actually i I was writing on the deep end like putting a whole newspaper together um yeah and then there were like people like chris maynard worked there for a while and then we got sam laden in and and sam used to run roots night at the railway um brother of uh rosie laden rosie plain and Mm -hmm. um and then yeah Bex, Rebecca, uh, she she was at, what was, what was Bex doing in Winchester? I guess she was at art school. And Bex came for a, like a job interview tryout and she just aced it because all these people used to come in with sort of, you know, half-baked graphic design skills. 
and we used to sort of like give them a, some, a line of text and a photograph and say, right, make an advert to these dimensions and let us know when you're done. And people would sit there for sort of like two hours and at the end of it, they go, there you go. What do you think? And we go, yeah, it's, that's fine. Yeah. Cheers. We'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. And Bex came in and we gave Bex the same bit of text and the same photograph. And with about 35 seconds, Bex went, right, I'm done. There you go. <laughs> and we went, what, how, how come, what have you, how come you've done it so quick? And Bex was the only one, and this wasn't part of the job requirement, but Bex read the whole bit of paper where it said that this person was going to pay £25 for this advert. And Bex went, well, they're only paying 25 quid for it. It's not worth spending any more time on it. And we were going, that's the person for the job. That's the person for the job. So, yeah, there was a bit of a, a great period of, um, yeah, me, Pete, Bex, Sam, and, of course, the, the, the legendary, legendary Max Jones, RIP, who was just a complete writing and human legend and i already force of nature yeah absolutely force of nature is yeah that's what p harvey always used to like say is a force of nature such a force of nature that still to this day i see people and i think it's max even though max has been oh. dead for years and yeah it's a yeah very very weird thing but yeah, the newspaper Explain, was... Explain, how does that happen that you see people and think they're Max? Just because, to me, still the idea of Max being dead is just ridiculous. Oh, right, yes. It's, it's, just, yes. it's just totally... And, 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 yeah, I mean, I know it's not true, but also it would be the most Max Jones thing in the world just to appear from nowhere in a pub one day <laughs> and and order, yes. order a load of flaming Sambucas for people and... I mean, there are so many, there's so many stories with that newspaper. I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't know where I could possibly start. Well, I, I'll start by, by just uh, uh, summarizing how I think a paper like that functions. Because um, what they do is, and I've, I've actually fallen into this trap myself a couple of times when I was running a business, is that they have a very good, strong sales team who will go around selling advertising to people mm -hmm. and the premise is they say we have a circulation of so and so many thousand which sounds incredibly impressive they say we have, we have a reach of let, let's say in a small place at Winchester it's 30,000 or whatever yeah you think crikey so 30,000 people will be seeing my advert adverts as, as we you've just said quite cheap maybe you know let's say you could spend 35 40 quid and you get as you could get a small advert yeah there is not a chance in hell that anybody is ever going to purchase anything from you having seen an advert in that paper because they know it's an advertising paper and it's a free paper. Uh, at that stage, it was stuffed through people's letterboxes, so it did get distribu distributed, but it wasn't l very long before they stopped doing that, so it doesn't even get distributed anymore. They just part. And you can see a pile of maybe 500 of those go into Tesco. Yeah. And at the end of the week, somebody comes along, takes them all away, and replaces it by this week's issue. But at your um, stage, when you were working there, you had the most fantastic high-quality editorial content. Yeah. And so people did read it because there was stuff to read in it. Now, I regret to tell you, they don't have any editorial content at all. There was a period where they would get everything from agencies and just reprint press releases that people had sent in. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if there was no editorial staff there at all or maybe a maximum of one. Because now it's only adverts. Yeah, but back when, like you said, back in the 
back in the day, there was probably a a two year period maybe where it was oh it was just the best thing ever you know yeah, it, 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 I mean, we we had freedom to write what we wanted so i mean you know we did write a lot of winchester stories max was always going off and interviewing people but then if there was anything interesting going on you know we we would put it in and yeah we were on the news quiz on radio four a few times and we just covered whatever we wanted so when there was sort of the anti-war demos going on sam went up and you know took photographs and wrote a thing about that just because it was that old thing of like we could never just we could never decide whether it was sort of a global paper for local people or a local paper for global people it was one of those two things but you know, just because you just because you live and work in Winchester doesn't mean to say you're not interested in what's going on in the rest of the world because it affects everybody. And so we would just cover what we wanted, and there was a period of time where we could just cover what we wanted. And because of that, it was um, I think it, yeah, it was it was a a great a great paper. I think it was I think it was unique. When I look look back, I've been looking back over some old cuttings recently because I've got a bit bored. Um and and you know, I used to write these immensely long full page articles about hmm. various bands and things. Yeah. And the great thing about it was that you could then take quotes or whoever the band was that was being written about could take a quote from it and put it on their advertising sheet and say uh, credit the observer Yes. And so uh, yeah. people would, 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 of course, completely falsely think, wow, they've got this massive great write-up in The Observer. Well, it was definitely a, it, you know, we did do, I think, what did you say, 30, it was something like 38, 40,000 a week yeah. we'd get printed of that. And then after a while, we then did the West Hampshire Observer as well. And then we did the Basingstoke Independent. So there was a point where we were, Every week we, I mean, obviously a lot of pages would be doubled, but every week we would churning out, it could be a hundred pages of, of newsprint. And it was a phenomenal thing because say going to print day was uh, a Tuesday night. And so we'd be in there at midnight on a Tuesday, sending the, the PDFs of the pages down back in the day, down an ISDN line to the printers in Pompey. And then, uh, 10 o'clock the next morning we'd all rock up and there would be like 60,000 newspapers stacked up on pallets outside the <laughs> office already and it, you know, it was just a phenomenal feeling looking at that thinking yeah. that's what we did last night and then it was a... you know sometimes there were just unbelievable mistakes and I mean so many so many great are oh, so many great stories which I'm sure it was, a, it was a dream situation for you all to be in. I mean, I, I, I've been reading about, you know, the, the, the heyday of the music month uh, weeklies when there was the uh, sounds record mirror, melody maker, NME, uh, and they all had sort of large quotas of staff and, and, and they all had also this uh, enormous amount of freedom to, to just sort of uh, churn out to, uh, their, their their opinions and use their literary skills and all of that is a kind of way of life that's very rapidly disappeared isn't it well none of them are left yeah well they the guys that set it up mark and jez who set it up they came from the chronicle they were 
I mean, they're not old guys, but they were old school newspaper guys. I mean, they remember the days of working at the Echo where the Southern Evening Echo had a bar in the building and the bar was oh. in the building because, <laughs> it, uh, you know, if the journos were going to get pissed, at least they knew where the journos were and they would be in the subsidized bar. And, and so some of that, uh, you know, they had their own, they had their own newspaper anarchy that they brought to it which was the kind of like drinking and having online betting accounts, you know, things that, things that you didn't have before you started working at a newspaper, a taste for strong alcohol at lunchtime and an online betting account. And then within six months of working at a, a newspaper, you, you know, you have both of those things. So they had their anarchy from that side of things. And we had our anarchy from the rock and roll side of things. And for a period of time, it was just a, it was a beautiful thing to use a very mid Hampshire observer, phrase and they um you know and, and they were you know those guys were superbly good fun as well and then people like simon thorpe and rich peak who were part of the advertising team they're just like top blokes as well and i mean the stuff i mean we got away with an awful <laughs> lot of things that well once well, there was one period i've been looking through i mean we'll we'll have a whole um session in 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 the next few uh in the in the next few episodes of this i'm sure we'll have at least an hour talking about uh the famous band my daughter was in and uh and you were in mm. and um literally we set up their own weekly series so there was an entire column about them every week was about oh yes uh, regardless of whether they'd actually done anything we would invent a few stories and then of course for me as their in inverted commas manager it was great i could then cut these out and send them off to people and make it look as though they were getting massive press coverage the whole time yeah yeah but literally well, for months on end every week there was a feature on them yeah well you, you know you had column inches to fill <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was better to fill them with something fun than something there's something boring but there were times where you know there's a there's a classic chris maynard story of um Ange had sold an ad to i can't remember what it was say it was like the uh, the sunshine hotel in freshwater or something and yes. part of the part of the deal is with all newspapers is the whole advertorial concept so somebody yes. pays for an advert and they get an advert of a certain size for a certain amount of money but also they get 200 words of copy written and so mm. um and had like quickly made some notes about what the sunshine hotel in freshwater wanted to say and handed it over to chris maynard chris maynard's job was to type up this bit of copy and make the advert so chris made the advert and he's typing up the bit of copy and he's like saying, oh, the Sunshine Hotel in Freshwater is a lovely place to visit. Not only do they have superb double rooms and single rooms, they also have a lovely breakfast area where you can, and, you know, he carried on writing mm. in, in, in that way. But what happened is that that was on day of production. And then when the newspaper actually came out the next day and we opened it up, it, we realized that, like, Chris, as he had been typing this, just sort of like, faded off and went and did something else so the copy that actually was in these forty thousand copies of the newspaper went something along the lines of the sunshine hotel in freshwater is a lovely place to visit not only do they have superb dublin single rooms they also have oh my god this is so fucking boring <laughs> and that was in thousands and thousands of newspapers and 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 uh 
you know, God bless the powers that be that obviously the Sunshine Hotel in Freshwater saw that and they obviously got a, a, a series of free adverts, but, you know, nobody, nobody got sacked for that. Because because we all knew that it was it was so shoestring and so everybody like pulling together that it, you know that mistakes were bound to happen, and then you know after and you know that's that's something from our so that's the product that's a classic production office mistake, classic sales office mistake was once when Mark came into the came into the office. And he said, oh, great, great news. I've got a last minute meeting with this big ad agency up in London. Um, so we've got to go now. Peaky, this is Richard Peake. Peaky, mm. you'll come in with me. Grab some newspapers off the off the desk so we can take them up and we'll show them to the ad agency. And if, at the end of the day, we get their business. This will just be a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. So Peaky grabs a couple of um, newspapers. Him and Mark like jump on a train. They go up to London and and they're in this meeting. And they get called into a room and there's two very officious sort of people from this ad agency saying, all right, okay, well, you know, let's, let's, let's have a, a first hand look at the work. Let's see what you do boys. And so Peaky confidently slid these newspapers across to these guys and they're, they're flipping through them and, and Peaky can see that the guy opens it at one page and on uh, on this page it's just like a photograph of a of a woman who probably won an award something for doing something and it was just a sort of press release standard photograph of a woman but this newspaper had been sitting on peaky's desk for a couple of weeks and what he didn't realize until that moment it was that copy where peaky had drawn a speech bubble coming out of this woman's mouth and this woman is just saying i like cock oh <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and the guys just kind of closed the newspaper and we we never heard from that ad, ad agency again so yeah there was just as much chance of the ad side of things um doing something a bit mad that there was our side of doing a, something a bit mad but then you know we heavily got into like very bizarre um picture captions and very bizarre um headlines puns a go-go yeah yeah best one ever i still think is sam laden's picture caption for we were sent a press release and a photograph for um slimming world the winchester chapter of slimming world and there was a photograph of the woman who had um uh slimmed the most i guess you know she was Mm -hmm. she she was the the winner that year of however they gauge that competition there's a photograph of her with her award and sam went with the little picture caption i'm the slim lady yes i'm the slim lady all you other slim ladies are just imitating so won't the real slim lady please stand up please stand up please stand up which is the the greatest picture caption probably in the history of newspapers yes and it probably took up most of the page as well i know uh, but that's the great thing it didn't matter it didn't no. it, it didn't matter not enough. i do know that people uh, people actually read that paper and people used to tell me that they looked forward uh, each week to it coming through the letterboxes so they could sit down and and have a good laugh well the the one thing that like we've actually like beck sam me and pete have kind of said to each other is that if you believe every now and again that there's a reason why you've been put on the earth and and that reason can just be sort of like one moment or one specific thing you do 
then sometimes after a few drinks uh, and we get a bit sentimental, we think that putting the issue together after Max died was the reason that why we were put on this earth. Because I still got it, actually. I, I kept it because it was such a, an extraordinarily moving um, document. Yeah, well, well, oddly enough, I remember my mum telling me like a few years ago that she went to visit a friend in Winchester and, you know, this friend of hers is probably 90, like she is. And, you know, this friend said, oh, is Richard still at that newspaper? And mum said, no, no, he left years and years and years ago. And she said, oh, I've still got that edition. And she'd never met Max. She never knew Max. She, but yeah, she she's kept this one copy of this one newspaper. And it's just a, oh yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a thing. Um, I can actually I absolutely identify with that yeah. idea that you, you feel that you were put on your earth for that one thing. Yeah, if, uh, if all of us had just sort of like stood up after sending that last PDF down the ISDN line and walked out, it, you know, it would have been enough. It was that, that was, that was the moment where it was job done. Yes, um, I think you're right. I think you're right. I, I got that sense as well at that time. Yeah, put it this way: there's not not many not many things that I'm as proud of doing in my life. Yes. Well, that, that that's good. I mean, I mean, newspapers. When when I first came to Winchester and started writing the music column in the in the Chronicle, that paper was uh, probably at about 48 pages but it was a broadsheet it was the the, the size of uh, well there aren't any more of them left at all no, are there but no. the, the, what, what, when you think of a traditional newspaper which you can open out and hold at arm's length and then read yeah um it it was still produced by hot metal yeah in that uh, in that very beautiful building at the top of the high street uh, which still says jacob and jacob and johnson who were the the owners of that a newspaper uh, and it's now a, a chain flipping pizza restaurant but uh they had this enormous premises with these huge gigantic printing presses and the whole thing was just and and, and we're not really talking that long ago historically speaking by a miracle that paper still exists but it's now gone down to a tabloid it's printed in um well, wherever it's printed it's certainly not in winchester mm. but the extraordinary thing is that I went in there recently, um, and there were three staff. And back then, yeah. well, you know, Jonathan was a photographer. There was a team of probably about eight photographers, yeah. at least 10 or 12 writers, mm -hmm. and front of house staff, printing um, experts. And, and, and now the entire thing is run by pr pressing a button on a computer. And as I say, the whole thing is is written by and put together and everything by three people. Yeah, and they're, I mean, that happened when they were, I guess, bought by NewsQuest or whoever whoever NewsQuest were before they were NewsQuest. And then, yes. and, you know, we had, we had ongoing battles with them just because, you know, companies like NewsQuest are basically hum, humorless companies aren't they i mean they're just big oh, yes. corporate entities Faceless, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. so we would do little things i mean underneath the masthead on the front of the paper we always used to try and think of some little thing that we could put in that was different every week um so like one week we put 
Hampshire comical, and mm. obviously a, see, a yeah exactly a cease and desist letter comes from NewsQuest PLC <laughs> saying we think you're infringing or you're trying to take the pit. And then so the week after we did Hampshire chronic. Um, so yeah, when I think the best one ever was we come in your box every Thursday. That was Ooh. that's a classic Pete Harvey. But um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we so we were always we were always getting. There is, I'm not sure whether this is a, an apo- apocryphal story or not, but there was talk once of a bunch of observer people, uh, such as myself, uh, Max and Pete, going out on the lash in Winchester and all wearing little kind of business name badges that said Hampshire Chronicle on <laughs> them. Oh. Just in case, you know, in case somebody, I don't know, I mean, obviously it's not the sort of thing that any normal human being would do, but if you were going to try and snort a flaming Sambuca through your nose in a crowded pub and therefore bring shame on yourself, then why not wear a badge that says Hampshire Chronicle when you're doing it? And I'm not saying that that happened, but if it did happen, Max Jones might have been the sort of person that would have done that. And Pete, Har- that Pete Harvey and I might have been there as well. I don't know. <laughs> no wonder you've got those awful scars on your face. I've often wondered where they came from. Yeah, flaming Sambuca scars. But by a miracle, um, both those papers actually do still exist. The Chronicle, bless its heart, you know, it still tries its best uh, to um, be the local paper. And, and I think it does a great job. Uh, whereas, sadly, the Observer, as I said before, is just... Uh, full of adverts is it possible or is it not politically sensible for you to to explain how it came to an end or at least for you no there's no point going into it really um <laughs> i thought not well the, the thing was is that just the uh, for want of a better word the model kind of like changed for jez and mark um and one thing that happened not sure when it happened but it was always uh always very very difficult to get like the the real money in advertising is in recruitment advertising. And if you can get recruitment advertising for the local authorities, so Winchester City Council, Hampshire County Council, then, you you know, one page of that advertising is worth a ton, is worth 20 other pages of normal advertising because there are... I'm remembering this now. There are set rates and um, it was that was all sewn up you know that the ad agency that dealt with that it, they had contracts sewn up with um with newsquest so that money went to newsquest and we never got a sniff of that but one of the other things that they were always working on was um local authority announcements so if if somewhere um if if you're getting some building work done and there needs to be a notice put out by winter city council that planning permission has been asked for by so and so things like that go in newspapers and licensing regulations and yes and for years we didn't get that either and then we got it and getting something like that does actually sort of change the game a bit and and that's advertising that the purpose of that advertising is is for it to be placed it's not for it to be seen it's for it to be placed it's to be put somewhere so if anybody says, well, I didn't know about this, 
the people exactly. who placed it can yeah. say, well, it was here and it was here and it was here. And so everybody, and it was public. It was yeah. public. It was, yeah. So you're legally covered. Um, so if you've got, if you get advertising like that, then you don't need, you don't really need any kind of unique selling point editorially because your yes, job is, yeah. your job is to be the system the method by which that information gets out. And it doesn't matter whether anybody sees it or not. Uh, and so since the Observer have got that on board, it, they don't it, need it, the staff anymore. It, yeah, they don't need the staff anymore. It's changed. It, 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 it changed. I mean, there's a, yeah. There's a lot of a longer story, but, yeah, I wouldn't really want to go into it too much. No, and also of there's, not anything like and that. And at the same time, I mean, I like I say, I look back and I look back with I was there for four years, and it was uh, yeah, second. Was it really four years? Yes, I had yeah, it was God. second best job I ever had, and it it was uh, yeah, it was a phenomenal thing, and I was yeah, it was great. Yeah, and I'm still I'm still mates with you know if I. Obviously, I'm mates with Pete Harvey, and me and Bex talk every now and again, and me and Sam. And but every time I bump into Mark and Thorpey, and or if I bumped into Peaky, you know, it would be the same. It's just a bit of a shared, uh, shared experience that, yeah, I'm definitely glad I had. I'm, I'm totally. Yeah, well, good because everybody uh, really deserves to have uh, at least one job in their lifetimes where they feel fulfilled, filled, and they feel that they're. Uh, achieving something worthwhile yeah yeah and that was that was one of them so we got onto that by talking about <laughs> interested Sorry, personalities yeah. you know there's a uh, the current chancellor of the exchequer went to winchester college um, really rishi Sunak? yes ah. yes he's he's the son of a businessman in southampton i think some very successful obviously <laughs> must be very successful he could afford to send his son to winchester college and he's Incidentally, you were talking about Wintonians earlier on. Of course, the Winchester College people are called Wickhamists. Yes. So there are two completely different words, neither of which say Winchester, to describe people from Winchester. One is from the uh, people from the city, the Wintonians, and the other is the Wickhamists, who are the people who, who, who uh, attended the college. But of course, if you're in America and you mention Winchester, immediately everybody sort of um pricks up their ears and thinks you're going to talk to them about guns but well also if you if you mention winchester i was just after i moved to spain i went to this um what was known as the international club of salabrenia i went to this meeting <laughs> and god it sounds hellish yeah i only went a couple of times <laughs> believe me and uh yeah i i got introduced to this english guy who was, he's kind of like ex-major sort of like type, about 70 or something. And uh, he obviously thought I was a, some sort of complete oik. And he, and he, he was sort of, he was, <laughs> you mean to say you aren't? I know. And he was, he was saying, oh, you know, what are you, what are you doing here? And I was just saying, oh, well, you know, I thought I've always wanted to move to Spain. So, um, yeah, I'm, I've come here. And, and then he asked me, I'm trying to think how he, how he phrased it, how it, it came about yeah and then he said he said to me oh so oh. So, so where are you where, where are you from and <laughs> i know I, what you're gonna say <laughs> and i said i said england and he said yes well obviously england i meant you know i don't know where did you go to school and i went winchester 
And suddenly his <laughs> attitude completely yeah. changed. He was like, oh, how lovely to meet you. Okay, would you like a drink? Let me, let me get you a large brandy. And, so, and then I, I thought, what, why is his attitude? And I thought, oh, I said, we, I didn't say Henry Beaufort School, Winchester. <laughs> or, and I didn't say Winchester College. But he thought when I said I went to school, he thought I meant I went to school at Winchester, not in Winchester. And so his attitude completely, completely changed. So, yeah, well, it's, it's a way to, I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say you want to open those doors, but if you did want to open doors, just say you went to school in Winchester and, yes, it's uh, a, it's, and see what happens. It's a little bit like the uh, writing the articles for The Observer, isn't it? Um, but very, very, very much uh, summing up the uh, British class system yet again. I used to have that all the time when I was working in educational publishing. And I would go along to exhibitions and uh, people would always say, oh, where do you teach? And I, I, I truthfully said, Winchester. Hmm. And you could see I had exactly the same experience on numerous occasions as you just described. People, oh, really? Oh, I see. <laughs> oh, you teach at Winchester? I said, no, I don't teach at Winchester. I teach in Winchester. And then I always say Gasworks Comprehensive in Winchester. It's always, it's strange, isn't it? How one little word can can change the context of that so much it's very between in and at there's a there's a world of difference there 